That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin, and something we could all use more of in 2024 is money. Tori Dunlap is the host and author of The Financial Feminist, which is also a book and a podcast. She's also the founder of her first 100K, and today she's going to be sharing super actionable tips around financial wellness, three ways to live richer, and why she's entering her, quote, soft era. Lastly, we want to hear from all of you, our listeners. You can now leave us a voice memo, and it literally takes the push of one button that you can do via your phone. It's really quick and easy. And the question that we want to have you all answer for us is tell us about a time when networking got you a really cool job opportunity. For example, I once referred someone that I had an informational interview with to be my job replacement when I left my last job. So we have an upcoming episode about the hidden job market, and we want to hear your stories about how you've tapped into that hidden job market. So don't gatekeep. Tell us how you've landed your really cool career opportunities in non-traditional ways by leaving us a voice memo, and then we can play that on an upcoming show. The link to that voice memo is also in the show notes. Okay. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. Hi, Tori. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Okay. So I know most of our audience probably knows who you are, but can you briefly introduce yourself for anyone who doesn't know? I think we always have to start there. Of course. My name is Tori. I am a money expert. I am the founder of Her First Under K, which is a money and career platform for women. And I believe I was put on this earth to fight for women's financial rights. So that looks like helping over 4 million women save money, pay off debt, start investing, start businesses, feel financially confident. I started my business as a side hustle in 2016, which is hard to believe that that wasn't like three years ago. But I know (laughs) so, so much longer than that. I was running social media for a brand. That was my nine to five job. I was in marketing and then Trump got elected. I graduated college in 2016 in May of 2016 and Donald Trump gets elected not soon after that. And I'm 22 and I'm coming into adulthood and womanhood. And I think a very different country than I thought a lot of us expected, including me. And I was trying to figure out like, what kind of person do I want to be? What do I want to stand for? And it kind of radicalized me. And I started having conversations with other women, with my friends, and realized that the financial education I had as a child from my parents was not the norm, was, but was a privilege. It was a privilege to be taught how to manage a credit card responsibly and how to navigate taking on debt when needed and how to save money and negotiate your salary and all of those things. And so I realized that maybe this was where I could help. Maybe this was the part of the equation that I could help with. And I realized that I don't think we have any sort of equality for any marginalized group until we have financial equality. So 
I started Her First 100K as a side hustle in my nine to five. And 2019, we rebranded. I've hit my 100K goal. That was kind of the origin story of Her First 100K was me attempting to save $100,000 at age 25. I hit that goal, went on Good Morning America to talk about it. And then three weeks later, quit my job. And the rest has been crazy since then. We have 4 million followers. We have a New York Times bestselling book. We have the number one money podcast for women in the world called Financial Feminist. And this is my favorite thing to do is give women resources to better their money and fight the patriarchy doing it. I love it. I have a good Good Morning America story also. We went on there. I barely made my flight after rushing over there to pitch them. We have an anonymous salary project called The Salary Project. And I was pitching Rebecca Jarvis. And then I was trying to haul ass to the airport and I barely made my flight. But that meeting was totally worth it because she mentioned The Salary Project on Good Morning America and it broke our website. Wow. But our developers were like, someone is hacking us. I was like, no, they're not. <laughs> they're like, no, that's the morning <laughs> no, show. No, I was like, yeah. So good morning, America. I love it. People are quitting jobs, hacking websites. No, I'm just kidding. That's amazing. I love your yeah. story. And thank you for what you do. I think it's really interesting because you have both a, a podcast and a book called Financial Feminist. And it was obviously purposeful for you to put the word feminist in that. Talk about that. Why is this so important to you? Why is it in the titles of two of your babies? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's everything. It's truly everything. I'm not the first person to do this, but I think that we have to talk about money as not just a personal issue, but a systemic issue. I have seen firsthand from our community members and from myself in my own life, when you put money into women's hands, when women have more money, everything changes. And the not so fun stat that I often cite when somebody asks me a similar question is 99% of abusive relationships have some sort of financial abuse. So what does that tell me? That tells me that money is one of the biggest, if not the biggest players in, can I get out of a situation I don't want to be in anymore? And if you don't have enough money, you are stuck. You are stuck in a job you don't want that's toxic. You're stuck in a relationship that's abusive, or at the very least, just not for you anymore. You are stuck. And the last thing I want on this planet is for women to play small because they feel stuck. Yeah. So when we talk about personal finance, often what happens with, you know, these big personal finance personalities that I kind of have a vendetta against, the biggest one being Dave Ramsey. No, (laughs) crazy. If you've seen one thing, one social content. (laughs) You love Dave. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But like the only conversation that they tend to have is like, you know, the reason you're not rich is because you buy a latte or when you work hard, you'll become a millionaire. So, okay, if I'm not a millionaire, does that mean I didn't work hard? Like this does not account for any of the things that have a much bigger impact on your money, which is sexism, ableism, homophobia, racism, a trillion dollar student debt crisis, stagnating wages, lack of paid family leave in this country. Like those things have a much bigger impact on your money versus did you buy a coffee that probably is the only reason you have for living and surviving. So When I talk about money, we talk about 80% of the personal finance equation is systemic. 20% is your personal choices. So we control what we can control. We learn how to pay off our debt. We learn how to invest. We learn how to negotiate our salary. And then we work to change the rest. We work to change the system. So when it comes to feminism, like that's, that's it. Like, again, I said before, like, I don't think we have equality until we have financial equality because money is power. And that doesn't mean contributing to capitalism, right? It doesn't mean trying to win capitalism, but it means trying not to lose it because you need to survive and not just survive, but thrive. And you need to make sure that you are healthy and content and joyful and stable 
and money buys you that. Yeah. I think it's the security piece that it buys you that is so valuable. It's like job security doesn't exist. We know that. So going into corporate your whole life is not the answer. The answer is building your own security and money is obviously a big, some of the stuff you were talking about is also thinking this is so relevant to the career advice we give where it's like, people want to think if I just change this thing about me, it'll make my career better. I'm like, okay, okay. Yes, you should advocate for yourself at work and and make sure everyone knows your wins. But we're talking about an entire system and society and culture that is working against you if you're a woman in the workplace, if you're a working mom in the workplace, you know, that is- If you're a woman of color. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, truly, one time I remember someone asked me something about gaps and I was like, the number of gaps that exist for women, like the pay, you know, the gender wage gap. gap, Yeah, yeah, like I was like, there's too many gaps to mention. But what you're saying is also so relevant to also career advice and money and career. This is why they overlap, obviously, a lot is you want to have choices and you want to be able to know what you're doing and not. One of the things I've always talked about is like, you have to be in the driver's seat of your career. And I also believe that you need to be in the driver's seat of your money also. And it's one of the most empowering things is to know I'm spending my money, what I spend it on, how I spend it, how I earn it, where I invest it, all of that. And it's like, wow, it's not about the latte at all. Like we, we don't care at all about that. We care about so much more. I love Sally Krawcheck always says, buy the fucking latte, <laughs> you know? Well, and and I, I did so much research for my book about this because our second chapter is about spending. And what I try to do in every chapter is I try to like debunk the narratives you've been told. And yeah. one of the biggest ones is you are not rich or you don't have enough money because you spend frivolously. Yeah. I just want to talk about that word for a second. Frivolous is only labeled for women's spending, yeah, right? Or yeah. feminine spending, what yeah. we would stereotypically consider feminine spending. So lattes, manicures, you know, purses. blowouts, mm-hmm. purses, right? Mm-hmm. Anything that is feminine, Clothing, right? That's frivolous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Clothing. You know what's not frivolous? Golf NFL clubs. season tickets. <laughs> Golf clubs, right. Video games, Memberships, right? so yeah. Mm-hmm. Even how we label things is inher- inherently sexist, right? Yes. And then we're told, oh, you know, that's the reason you're not rich. That's the yeah. reason you can't buy things or you can't, you know, save money or you can't get ahead. And again, if you want to go really deep, but I, I do this in my book as I talk about the very things we're shamed for are the things that are often necessary, especially if you're a working woman, right? Yeah. Like you're shaming me for my cut and color and for my manicure. But when I show up without that, you're yeah. telling me I look unprofessional or, you know, if I, I'm, I'm not wearing makeup right now, right? And most likely like, you might deem me unprofessional, right? Yeah. And we know this is even more intense for women of color and how, you know, they present their hair or how they yeah. how they show up at work. And so like, that's the perfect example of like, you're damned if you do and you're damned, damned if, if you, you don't. don't. Mm-hmm. And so it just becomes this cycle of shame of, oh, you're not rich because you go to Sephora. But if you show up at work without makeup, we'll tell you you look tired and you won't get that promotion. So like, yeah. it's fucked. <laughs> the whole thing <laughs> is fucked. Okay, but we have some good news, right? Like, yes. <laughs> yeah, Tori's here to like <laughs> unfuck the situation. I want to, okay, let's start with mindset because I think yeah. that we want to talk about how to be richer in 2024 and you're going to give us the good stuff that we can look forward to because I think we all have experienced enough bad. But let's start with mindset because I know you've said it's it's a, obviously a very important first step of your financial yeah. wellness journey. I mean, just the word financial wellness, I love it because it's like that word didn't even exist five years ago. So talk about that. Where do we start with the mindset? Yeah. When I was working with people one-on-one, because that's how I first got started, is I would sit down with people literally at a coffee shop here in Seattle and, you know, look over their money for an hour and give them a plan. 
I am such an actionable person. That's what I really pride myself on. Of okay, I'm going to give you these steps, and I'm, yeah. you know, here's exactly how to do it, and go do it. What would often happen though is that they would fall off the wagon three months later, six months later, a year later. They would, you know, go do the steps, and it would work for a while, but then things would stop working. And I started to realize that as much as we love a good plan, and I do a bunch of that on the podcast and in the book, like I had to start with the financial trauma and the sort of narratives we're believing about money and what is going on in our brains and bodies when we think about money. So I very intentionally started my book, Financial Feminist, with a chapter about the emotions of money and your mindset about money. Mm-hmm. All of the narratives, again, we were talking about, again, frivolous spending, some of the most like pervasive myths have everything to do with your view on money and your pursuit of money. One of them is that the pursuit of money is wrong, right? We're told that as women is that pursuing money, wanting money is evil. It's immoral. It's gross, right? Men are not told that, right? We worship Elon Musk as a society. We come out with these billionaire lists that are topped by men. And, you know, we, we worship at the altar of pursuit of wealth. And at the end of the day, money is not inherently good or bad. It is morally neutral. What you do with it, however, is where, you know, the, the morality comes in. And like I said before, when women have more money, nothing really bad happens <laughs> because women are generous and they're kind and they're altruistic and they want to make the world a better place. And the truth is, is that the pursuit of money means options, means, again, all of the things we were talking about of getting out of a bad situation, going on a restful vacation, going to therapy, moving to an apartment where you feel safe and where you feel like you have enough space to live your life. Like money provides you options. So the pursuit of wealth is not wrong, but you're told it's wrong so that you don't do it, right? You're told it's wrong so that the people who already have money and power and the people, and it's men, right? The men already have money and power and they get to gatekeep all of that from you. One of the other narratives is that talking about money is taboo, right? We've all been told this. Talking about money is gauche, it's impolite. Talking about your salary is impolite, right? You shouldn't do that. Well, what does that narrative mean? It keeps you underpaid and overworked because you don't know that somebody else also has debt. So you feel alone and you don't know that Chad, who got hired two years after you, is making double the amount of money you make. So when we're talking about money and mindset, we, again, we have to start there, even if it's gross and icky and really emotional, because we all have some sort of financial understanding, even if it's, I don't have any financial understanding, yeah. or I believe rich people are bad, or I don't want to pursue money because I feel like that's immoral. So we have to start with mindset. The easiest thing to do is to start mindfully understanding, like, okay, when someone talks about money, what happens in my brain and body? Or when I'm about to go spend money, what happens in my brain and body? Mm-hmm. You know, is it M&M, knees weak, arms heavy, palms sweaty? Is it like I, you know, am just swiping up on Instagram ads and I'm not even thinking about it. And then I look at my bank account and I'm like, where the hell did my money go this month? Like, just start noticing without shame or judgment. You're an anthropologist in your own life. You're like, oh, interesting. When I've had a bad day at work, I go to Sephora and I buy out the whole store. Yeah. With things that I didn't even want or need. Right. So just start noticing what's going on and also notice what sort of narratives are being perpetuated to you and why. Why are you being told that money's taboo? But we're more likely to talk about any other taboo topic before we'll talk about money, sex, death, politics, religion. Oh, maybe it's because if I talk about money, I get less scared of it. Who doesn't want me less scared of it? Well, the people who, again, are gatekeeping all of this. So we have journal entries and journal prompts in the book, and there's so much more there. But like, just start noticing 
what sort of beliefs you have about money and if that's something you want to want to change or want to work on. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And those are some really good questions that people can ask. And also just to point out, you guys, this is not like a one and done situation. This is something you're constantly evaluating. Even when you get money and you feel like a scarcity mindset of like, it's going to run away and disappear from you. That's a whole other thing to address and talk about. So, you know, it's, it's, you're always evaluating these feelings is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, as a money expert, right. Somebody who's professionally good at money, like I can tell you many times that even someone, again, who grew up with good money habits, who saw them modeled to me by my parents, I have made, you know, negative financial choices or things that I regret. One of the examples I give is like, you know, my 100K at 25, like I saved up this amount of money and it was like my permission slip to quit my corporate job. I told myself, okay, this feels like the amount of money I need or just want to feel like secure and to give myself a one way and to give me all these things. Yet I hit my 100K at 25 and initially I was like, yeah, I'll give it a couple more months in corporate. Like I wanted the security so bad. And then when things started getting squirrely at my job and I went on GMA and all these things started happening and it was very clear to me that I needed to quit my job, I called my parents up and I said, I think it's time. I think I'm going to try to be an entrepreneur full time. And I love my parents. Yet their advice was like, you need to keep your job no matter what, because they had always chose the stable option. And that had benefited me and I'm very grateful for it, right? My dad chose the job with the 401k and with the health insurance, even if he hated it, right? That was an intentional choice that they made because entrepreneurship felt like too much of a risk. Yeah. And so I was so nervous to quit my job and should not have been. I made more money than I ever thought possible that first year. So like it was fine, but because stability was valued more than anything else when it came to money, I almost didn't make one of the best decisions I've ever made. So even like these positive things that we think about money, which is like, you know, prioritizing stability, prioritizing, you know, a stable paycheck, that would have been my massive detriment if I didn't go all in on my business. So again, even someone who's professionally good with money, even somebody who, you know, would look at that on paper and say like, yay, stable choices, that's the right thing to do. Not in every situation. Right, right. Uh, that's it's good to know. I mean, it's good to know it happens to the experts too. That's like when people ask me something with career stuff and I'm like, I know I talk about this all day long, but like <laughs> it, it's not like I could apply for a job tomorrow and probably get, you know what I mean? I'm like, learning even, all the time. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. learning all the time too. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree. Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I've been on both sides of the job market as a job seeker and a recruiter, and Indeed is great for all users. What stands out to me is the vast pool of talented candidates that Indeed has. Everything about Indeed is intuitive, quick, and they have great tools to keep everything organized. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of the Career Contessa podcast, you will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash Contessa. So just go to indeed.com slash Contessa right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. So again, that's indeed.com slash Contessa. Terms and conditions apply to get your $75 sponsored job credit. Need to- What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The higher you need indeed. Okay, let's talk about the good stuff, which is the people who are listening to this podcast. Let's just assume that they are evaluating their mindsets. They're working on that and they're ready to get rich. And they're thinking yep. like, I want to feel better about my money. But more importantly, I want to see those numbers go up in 2024. What yeah. are like, give us three actual, you love actionable tips. Give us three actionable tips. Yeah. So I'm going to take the systemic issues out of it yes. for now, because that's, again, a huge chunk of your money, but I'm not solving racism or sexism today on this podcast. So let's talk about what you can actually do. At the bare bones of it, money and the management of it is two things, making more and spending less. Now, the spend less part is the not as fun part. And it's frankly not as easy because there's only so much you can cut at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Eventually, if you're living so bare bones, you can't cut your rent, you can't cut your insurance, or you can't cut your groceries, you got to eat, right? So if there are things that you can cut that truly you're like, oh yeah, I'm paying for Netflix, I never use it, cut it, fine. If you love Netflix, don't cut it. I don't want you to cut it. I don't want deprivation. But if there are certain things that you can, as you're being more mindful of how you spend and your triggers and you know where you want your money to go, if there are things you can cut, start there. That's yeah. a lot easier. But in theory, your income potential is limitless, right? You could always make more money. You can't always spend less money. So let's talk about the other side of it, which is like making more money. I can almost guarantee you, dear listener, that you are underpaid. I can almost guarantee it. So if you are at a job that you have been at for a period of time, we're talking a year plus, and you have not received any sort of salary increase, you are due, assuming you are a good employee who shows up and does good work. So we need to figure out what our market rate is. And I know you have so many resources on your side for this, but 
understanding like where are the gaps in terms of my pay, right? If I'm a social media manager in Seattle, I'm trying to find data that shows what other social media managers in my city with roughly my experience are making. Ask people. Don't just go to Glassdoor. Don't just go to these online sites that, again, are so helpful. Salary Project, all these things. But also talk to people. Like people in your network, previous team members that you worked at at another company, people you met at networking events. DM people on LinkedIn. Like, hey, I have this year amount of experience. This is my current job description. What would you say I should be getting compensated at? Or what's the range I should be getting compensated at? Because you need to be seen as a full 3D person, right? So start asking people, start doing that salary research. You're probably underpaid. The next step step then is to figure out, okay, are you either going to go get paid at this current job or are you going to look for something else? You can do both at the same time. You can advocate for a raise while also putting out feelers somewhere else. One of my other financial friends, she runs Flynance. Her name is Sinea. She talks about job hopping and just how important it is. Job hopping has gotten a bad rap this entire, you know, oh, don't hop jobs. That's what millennials do. It's bad. She got so much more money for not staying at a job for more than two years. Same with me. Like anytime I felt like I was not compensated fairly, I either asked for a raise and or got something new. Yeah. The final thing to think about as well with earning more money is it's not just the number on the paycheck, right? It's not just your salary. It's all of the additional benefits. Are they offering you a 401k? Does that 401k match the money that you are putting in up to a percentage? Are you getting paid for partial health insurance coverage or are they paying all of your health insurance coverage? Are they offering you a substantial PTO amount, right? There's so many things to think about beyond just your salary as part of your compensation package. And if you do find that there is some resistance, either you know budgets are tight or they can't afford to pay you more right now, negotiate for other things that matter to you. That is part of your total compensation. And I wish more people understood that those things are so negotiable in a way that your salary might not be right now. Right, right. That's a really good point about the paying for your entire health care, for example, versus it's coming out. Yeah. I know someone in my family just got a new job and that was one of the things I helped her negotiate for. And she was like amazed because I was like, well, you're paying $500 a month for your health insurance at this other company. That's $6,000 a year that then you could actually just take and put into like that that helps your IRA, you know, whatever it is that you're you're wanting to do. You know, the other interesting thing, and again, this is different when you get a little bit older, but being really clever about, should I put this cash into the 401k versus should I take that cash out? And it's kind of one of those things where this is why it's not a black and white strategy because there are so many things and variants that depends on, you know, for example, cash is getting a lot of money on it right now. So it's like actually putting your cash in a high yield savings account is a really good idea. But there was a time when you weren't making a lot on that cash to doing other things. So like, I want to also just point out to people that what you're saying is that having a plan, but then also you have to evaluate that plan consistently. And I know that there are people, and I'm kind of like this too, sometimes it's like, I want to set it and forget it situation. And that doesn't 100% exist, but it exists a little bit. Tell us about a way to make more money this year that is a little bit more set it and forget it oriented. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good question. Let's talk about that. Anything in your life, any skill, any goal you're working toward, there is a certain amount of set it and forget it, but there's an amount of optimization too. And again, we discuss this in the book. Being good with money is a skill. You are not born with a good with money gene or a bad with money gene. It is a teachable skill. You're going to suck at it for a while. That's okay. If I start taking Italian, 
I'm, I'm going to suck at it. I'm not going to be fluent tomorrow, right? If I start learning how to play the tuba, I'm not going to even get a noise out of the tuba for probably a month, right? Like <laughs> that's normal. That's normal. So understand that there's going to be a period of discomfort for you if you're on your financial wellness journey where you don't know a lot and you're feeling a little confused and, and this feels very vulnerable. That's totally normal. Financial self-care is some of the hard shit that is actual self-care. Again, I say this in the book, but like a lot of the things that have been labeled self-care are actually self-soothing actions. We're talking like glass bottle of wine, a <laughs> bubble bath, a face mask, right? Yes. All of these things are great. Like I love bathtubs more than anybody, but like those are the things you do because you had a bad day. Yeah. Those are not things you do that actually long-term make your life better. Yeah. Self-care is the hardship. It's the things that you do that feel so horrible in the moment, most likely, or at least uncomfortable that make your life better, right? It's going to the gym when you don't want to go to the gym. It's eating a salad when you don't want to eat a goddamn salad. It's going to therapy, right? And it's also looking at your money. So sitting down and having a financial self-care practice of at least one time a month, dedicated, non-negotiable time of sitting down and looking at your money and optimizing. There are certain things we can set and forget. Investing is actually one of them. I I didn't get to say this. like I was talking focused on career and that's on me, but you routed me, which was so perfect. Like women don't invest at the same rates men do. And it's actually one of the most important things we can do for our financial health. And I'm not talking buying the hot stock. I'm not talking day trading. I'm talking using a 401k or an IRA. These are both retirement accounts to invest in diversified things like index funds. And if you just, your eyes glazed over at 401k, IRA, index funds, so much more information in my book and podcast, but making sure that you are actually opening up these accounts, investing, and then, yeah, you can kind of set it and forget it, Yeah, but that you are optimizing your goals. And that financial self-care time gives you the dedicated space to make those kinds of decisions and to make those kinds of optimizations. But again, with investing, it's so important Take the money that you're earning and put part of it towards your 401k or towards your IRA, even if you're young, even if you are in your 20s or even early 30s and you're like, I don't need to save for retirement. You do. Yeah. Time is more important than the amount of money when it comes to investing. That's one of the misconceptions is we think, oh, investing is just for rich people or I need a bunch of money to start investing or I do need to you know, spend hours finding the hot stock. You don't. You yeah. can open up a 401k and IRA and invest in things like index funds, which are groups of stocks. They are diversified investments that allow you to grow your wealth with a very small amount of money. We're talking hundreds or even less, not even thousands of dollars. You can get started investing with a relatively small amount of money, but you cannot get time back. So we need yeah. you investing as soon as possible. And we need you in the habit of that financial self-care time of making sure that you're dedicating time to look at your money. Yeah. And I will say too, this is not that hard. Like for example, I use Vanguard and I just have an automatic thing every month that takes, I don't know, a certain amount out of my, I don't, I honestly haven't even looked at it in such a long time. It takes a certain amount out of my bank account every month and then it puts it into like the Vanguard total stock market. I mean, don't take your own advice, you guys, and like do your own research. I'm just saying like, I do, it's a set it and forget it. And yet, I look at that every quarter just to be like, okay, making sure these investments are going in and okay. Like, and and it's just a feeling of like, to your point, that financial self-care, it's like, 
I want to be able to check the box to know that my stuff is going to work. And I would actually be more anxious feeling like I was doing nothing versus if I was doing something. In my 20s, it was like $50. It wasn't a lot, but it's it was still something. And I promise you that stuff does add up. That's so crazy. I want to highlight what you just said. That is so important. I say this often with investing. You just said a version of it. The worst decision you can make is making no decision at all. Yeah. Truly. I think this analysis paralysis, especially when it comes to money, like we just think we have to be experts and we think, okay, I have to research a bank for hours to make sure it's the absolute right fit. And then before I put any money in it, I need to make sure that I'm researching all of that or investing. I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm either going to give my money to a man who doesn't care about me and who has built a billion dollar industry by telling me I'm stupid, which is a whole other conversation, (laughs) or I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. Or I'm going to like, I'll put it off till next year. I'll put it off till next month. And like, I need you to make a decision. You're so scared of losing money. You're so scared of fucking up. You're so scared of that, that it's keeping you from starting. And like, truly the worst decision you make, you can make is doing nothing. It's making no decision at all. So yes, I echo hundred percent what you just said. Do it imperfectly. Don't not do it. Yeah. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Okay, one other strategy I want to talk about getting, quote, rich in 2024 that might be a little different is that credit cards can be a really good thing. I, and like anyone who's ever gone down the rabbit hole of like the points guy and some Travel other things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So talk to us about how credit cards can be a good thing. Because I think that, you know, in the world of financial wellness, Credit cards are always seen as a very scary thing because you've got, you know, whatever the crazy interest rate is. So talk a little bit about that and how they can actually be a really good thing. I actually also from this podcast started using only a credit card in the last two years. My husband's like, why? He's like, you use a debit card? Like, why are you doing that? I was like, I recently learned that I should only be using a credit card, but that was news to me. And I feel like I don't think of myself as someone who's like putting their head in the sand about this. So I just want to point that out that like you can always be learning about this. So talk about credit cards a little bit. Yeah. Credit cards are like a knife. Knives can cut you if you use them incorrectly, right? They can also cut vegetables for you to make dinner, right? Credit cards used responsibly are incredible tools, right? I have this metaphor for anything like fire, right? Fire gives you life. 
ever. We've all seen Survivor. But also, like, if, you know, if you put your hand in too much, you're going to get burned. So credit cards used responsibly are a magical tool. Now, what does used responsibly mean? Meaning you are paying off the entire balance on time. So on time and in full is what we call it, right? You are paying the entire balance on your credit card on the day or before the day it's due. And you're not leaving anything. You're not leaving a balance. This is a common myth. Yeah, leaving balance on a credit card boosts your credit score. No, that's bullshit. It just puts you in debt. It just puts you in debt. So I don't even use a debit card. I literally have a debit card that I got signing up for a bank account and it's in a drawer in my house. Like I've never used one. My parents have never used one. Instead, I put everything on a credit card that I possibly can. I put dinner, I put groceries, I put my 25 plants I have in here. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about credit cards is use responsibly. One, it's going to increase your credit score because you're using credit in a responsible way. A credit score is like an adulting GPA. It's like, how well are you managing money, (laughs) right? So if you are saying, okay, you've given me $10,000 of credits on this credit card, but I only use $3,000 and I pay it off every month, it's like, cool, great. You're using credit credit cards responsibly. You're using the credit you have responsibly so that when you do go to buy a house or buy a car or even get an apartment, sometimes they're checking your credit score, your credit score is going to increase. The second fun, magical thing is that you start getting free shit using your credit cards. There are some credit cards before you even spend anything that have benefits, that have, I mean, I'll just tell you some fun stories in my own life. I was just in London. My brand new iPhone got stolen, which is, it was horrible, not fun, literally yeah. right out from under me. Uh, my credit card covers it. My credit card covers my stolen cell phone just because I have one, just because I put the purchase of the phone on a credit card. This year, I flew business class to France, myself and my partner. These are lie-down flat seats from Seattle to Paris for free. I did it on credit card points. And then in December, we went to the Ritz-Carlton for four nights, completely free, plus like a $100 benefit every single day and like all of these things. So you can start traveling for free. You get like TSA pre-check and lounge Mm -hmm. access and you know, again, stolen cell phone benefit and extra car insurance when you rent a car. All of these benefits are yeah. available to you. Now, there's some like really incredible, like, you know, travel cards that are metal. I have those. They're also with a large annual fee, but I end up, you know, it's getting the benefits right. It's worth it. It ends up paying for itself. But at the very least, a good starter card, we have all of our credit card recommendations linked on our website. But if you're just trying to get started, a good starter card is like a cash back on everything card. That's what I have. One and a half percent cash back on everything. Start building your credit that way. If you are a traveler and you want something more fancy, you start building from there. Mm -hmm. You can make this, again, you were talking about this. You can make this as intense as you want. want. There's some people out here, you know, who have binders of credit cards. Like, I'm not that person. (laughs) I'm just trying to get some free shit in a very, like, easy, redeemable way. Just Um, on an airline pass or ticket, you know? Like, that's all I need. (laughs) So just make sure, again, that if you're going to use your credit card like this, you're using them responsibly. It is a knife. It can cut you. It can also make you a really yummy dinner. Let's use it to make a really yummy dinner. I agree. I have the cash back one and I love it. It's like so fun to be like, oh, there's an extra 800 bucks, 600 bucks. And it adds up quickly, you guys. So It really does. Mm -hmm. It really does. Start with something simple. Talk about like, I love feeling fancy. I'm like such a fancy girl. If you're going to (laughs) like, 
treat me really nice at a hotel and restaurant. Like, I love that shit. So yeah, yeah. if I get to go to the Ritz Carlton, am I paying $900 a night for a hotel no. room? For me? No, hell no. Like, no, sorry. But I will do that for free yeah. using my credit card points. I will yeah. 100% do that for free. I love it. I think these are all really good actionable tips for how to honestly just be like, richer and just like life and financially richer. So these are really good tips. I want to switch gears a little bit to your company really quickly as we wrap up. You've written a book, you have the number one podcast, like people who are looking at you as this business owner, what's kind of next for Tori and her first 100K? Like, I feel like you've done so much, but like what's next for 2024 for you? A break. <laughs> a fucking break. No, a fucking break. <laughs> break. No, one thing that I just like to highlight is I think a lot of people think this is just me. Like a lot of people think that everything her first hundred K does is just me, which thank you. Very flattering, but Jesus, no, we're a team of 15 people. So like we are so grateful and lucky that we get to give people jobs and pay their benefits and do all these things. So like, that's one thing that I really want to highlight is like a lot of people who you follow online or who have businesses, it's not just them. It's a bunch of people as well. So like when you support our business, you also support me doing all of the rest of the behind the scenes stuff. Truly, I am trying to make 2024 my soft girl era. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know that's not the answer you want. No, but like, that. I've had the uh, same thing. I get it. I am so ambitious to a fault. And, you know, we just spent a year promoting this book and continue to. And we have a couple of cool things launching for the podcast. I'll actually say it here. We're launching a second show, which is very exciting. Oh, congrats. Yeah, that's the first time I said it out loud. But like, in terms of me personally, like, I'm just trying to find a good balance between that ambition that is so helpful to me in a lot of ways, but also really, really hurtful. I get um, it. Mm-hmm. And also just like taking some time for myself. I've kind of sacrificed my physical health the past two years, just a lot of travel and a lot of just eating whatever was around for convenience. And so I'm just trying to prioritize showing up as the most peaceful version of myself as opposed to the most ambitious version of myself. I completely get it. I love that you call it your soft girl era. I So after I launched my book, which by the way, I launched in a pandemic and you know, oh, I don't know if so I can, re- I don't know. I can't really recommend that. It was so hard. No. It was like swimming upstream with somebody like putting weights on you. You're like, this is so hard. So I felt very similarly after launching a book, sort of feeling like everyone kept coming to me. What's next? What's next? What's next? And you're like, I need a second to breathe. And it's interesting because it does come back. That ambition does come back, but at a different pace. And it's like, I'm really grateful for it. And I should have been calling it my soft girl era. I kept kind of being a little bit more dismissive about it. Being like, I don't know. I'm really tired. I had a couple of kids. And it's like, I wish I had been more supportive of the narrative of like, I'm taking a little break for a second and that's okay too. And I like that you're calling it that. There's Neha who has Mother Untitled. She talks a lot about like power pauses and probably more a little bit related to motherhood, but also this ability to like kind of ebb and flow with these ambitions. Like it's, it's a personal thing that's very important to me is like, how ambition changes and how like you can't go the same speed all the time. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I like soft girl era way more positive. I wish I had called it that. I think at the time (laughs) I was a little bit feeling like I had this pressure stress to feel like I should be doing more and more and more because you get asked like, what's next? What's next? And if you don't have this amazing answer and you're always launching something new, it was like, I felt like I was falling behind and there was sort of this like weird shame about it. But well, and, and for me, the goal is now it's like, We've done so much building of things publicly, like launching a bunch of things, but we've spent really the last year and we'll continue to spend this year. Like this is like really in the weeds from business, like the business standpoint, but like building funnels, building like customer journey funnels. Yeah. Like, and building things that serve our community behind the scenes 
to create a business that's sustainable because it's really difficult to run a business period, (laughs) but run an online business that constantly demands, right? Any algorithm on any social platform is like, okay, you posted yesterday, but what are you going to post today? Right. Or, you know, podcast downloads, perfect example of like, if I take, if we even take a week from not, you know, not publishing an episode, right? And I can see probably all the podcast you know, producers behind the scenes of where you're recording, just like nodding their heads and fatting. Yeah. Like you can see a dip in numbers. And it's yeah. just like, that's crazy. Like life shouldn't operate that way. Yeah. We're expected to. So I'm just trying to find what is the happy medium. It doesn't mean that you're never going to hear from me again. And it doesn't mean yeah, that yeah. like my ambition is like, you know, out like, the window. It's not coming oh, back. Yeah, God. yeah. It, I, I can't get rid of this even if I try. <laughs> so it's just finding like the nice, healthy balance and understanding that like I can't show up as the fullest version of myself if I'm not taking care of myself. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Period. End of story. Tori, this has been so fantastic. You've shared really great, amazing tips for us. Obviously, everyone knows where to find you, but just give them the links and the names of things so we can kind of wrap it up with a bow. <laughs> sure. Thank you for having me. Her First 100K is my company, H-E-R-F-I-R-S-T 100K. You can find us anywhere on social or herfirst100k.com. Financial Feminist is my book and podcast. It's available wherever you get your books and wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're going to put all of that in the show notes so you guys can just click on the links there. Thank you, Tori. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast. Please take your time to rate, review, and subscribe. A little insider tip, one review equals a thousand new downloads. And that's the number one way that you can support our show so we can be back here each week with amazing guests like Tori. And don't forget that we really want to hear from you all. You can now leave us a voice memo and it literally takes the push of one button that you can do via your phone. I promise it's not complicated. You don't need to be tech savvy to do it at all. And the question that we want you all to answer for us is tell us about a time when Netflix working got you a really cool job opportunity. Um, The example I gave at the top of the show was referring someone once via an informational interview to replace my job. But I've heard from people who have gotten really cool job opportunities by sitting next to someone on an airplane and striking up a conversation. Well, we have an upcoming episode where we are going to share your stories about the hidden job market. So please don't gatekeep and tell us how you've landed your really cool career opportunities so we can all learn. And, you know, of course, in those non-traditional ways, leave us a voice memo and the link to do that is in the show notes. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.